0: My first and strongest opinion is that if you have access to an indigenous community to learn from, you should always start there. These people have been working for thousands of years with these substances. They know what they're doing physically. They know the set and setting, but they also know what's happening on a spiritual level. And even something as simple as working with the land. You know, part of the traditions in Oaxaca is like we work with the lands that we take on. We are always giving an offering to the land. So even these clinical trials that are happening, which are super important for research, I sometimes wonder how how these ceremonies are going when they're not even acknowledging the lands that they're taking the medicine on. For this reason, I really think that people should be learning under Indigenous context to be qualified to serve the medicine.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Psychedelic Conversations Podcast. I have a very special guest for me with me today, Azalea Camp. Welcome. So amazing to have you.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really excited to
1: connect and to chat. Wonderful. So I I will just give a little bit of your background story for our listeners so they can connect and also to hear what we are going to be talking about today. Azalea uh, has indigenous roots in Mexico, the Americas, and the Bahamas. Azalea considered herself una nina de madre tierra. Did I say that right? (laughs) Yeah. A child of Mother Earth. Uh, Specifically, uh, mushrooms have offered her healing from treatment-resistant depression, PTSD, and anorexia. Trained to work as a psychedelic mushroom guide under a Mazatec lineage in, which I will need your help to pronounce.
0: Yes, of course. It's Huatla de Jimenez in Oaxaca, Mexico.
1: Huatla de de Jimenez Oaxaca, Mexico. Brilliant. I need to learn Spanish very soon. Uh, and thank you for that. Azalea is passionate about sharing the medicine of mushrooms in the indigenous Mexican context. And this is, I am super interested in learning more about this today. Um, uh, leading people down their healing paths. as uh, She now welcomes foreigners into indigenous mushroom ceremonies with her and other Mazatec shamans in Huadla, the birthplace of sacred mushroom ceremonies. Really excited. Azalea. Could you tell us uh, a little bit about your story, your background? Traditionally, we love to get to know you a bit more. And what brings you to this psychedelic space?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you basically summed it up. I just had a really difficult time navigating through depression, some really severe PTSD. I was anorexic for years. And I was really frustrated and kind of looking for a cure. So I just started kind of Googling around, like, you know, cure for depression. There has to be something. I was in therapy for years. I did yoga, meditation, but I didn't want to take any medications. I didn't want to take SSRIs. So I was just looking up, like, cure for depression. And I came across Reddit threads and articles about ayahuasca, actually. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. I felt very called, actually, to ayahuasca medicine. And I never had a psychedelic experience before that. So I booked my ayahuasca retreat in Peru to sit with Shipibo Shamans. And my retreat got canceled about a week before I was supposed to go. And I was so bummed because I had been on the dieta. I was really prepping for it with my therapist. I was really, really looking forward to this, but just tried to accept it, accept that it wasn't time. Um, And then I just started looking up other plant psychedelic medicines, other plants that perhaps I could have access to in the U.S., that maybe were safer for me to explore. And this is where I came across psilocybin mushrooms. Um, of course, I've heard about them all the time in school, and I've had friends that go out and do shrooms, right? Like it's a thing to kind of just get high <laughs> and to trip and to enjoy your trip. So I thought, okay, interesting. I didn't understand that they had medicinal properties, but I guess it makes sense. And I want to try a psychedelic experience. And I love the all-natural form, so I'll definitely look into taking mushrooms. And I told a dear friend of mine who, um, who's taken mushrooms many, many times recreationally, and she was like, "Oh yeah, like you're so ready, you're in the right mindset. Like I'll come to your house, I'll bring the shrooms, and like we'll get really high, basically." And I thought, okay, I, I wanted a therapeutic experience, but I figured I was just gonna like take drugs with my friend in my apartment. And I had just moved into my apartment. It was just like a couch, a bed, and like white walls. And I took the mushrooms and I had this profound, profound healing from everything that I had suffered through, everything that I had been working on, just really, really beautiful healing. But in addition to that, I had a very uh, shamanic experience. I had in my empty apartment, plants just reaching out of the walls and reaching up through the, um, through the bottom of the floor. And they were speaking to me. And they were asking me to work with the medicine and work with medicine in this shamanic context. And prior to this experience, I really wasn't, I didn't consider myself a very spiritual person. I also was very confused because I didn't even really know what a shaman was. (laughs) So it it was confusing. And while it felt so, so true in my heart, what was happening to me, I denied it for a long time. You know, I told myself that I was just tripping, that I was just seeing things. And of course, months after the psilocybin experience, I just kept feeling the plants speak to me. Even when I wasn't in the medicine, I would just walk to a park and plants would like start talking to me. And I thought it was strange, but again, felt so, so true to me. And I was very grounded. So, and I had experienced this profound healing, so I just couldn't deny it anymore. And then about six months later, I finally went to drink ayahuasca for the first time. And all of my ayahuasca experiences were mushroom experiences. It was very, very similar to mushroom medicine. And my ayahuasca ceremonies, the plant of ayahuasca was teaching me how to work with the mushrooms. And I found it very peculiar. I spoke to the shamans I sat with in Peru, Shipibo shamans, and they were telling me that the medicine was actually calling me to work with it through my ancestry, that my Mexican ancestors were asking me to reopen my lineage and to come work with our sacred sacrament, the mushroom. So these shamans connected me to my teacher in Oaxaca, my Mazatec teacher, and I you know, reached out to her about what I was feeling. She invited me to come visit her home and sit in a ceremony with her. So I went to go visit her, and the rest is pretty much history. That's That's really how I ended up where I am today. Wow.
1: Thank you for sharing. That's uh, fascinating. Um, So I hear a lot of, you know, facilitators, very similar background. So the medicine, they always say the medicine asked me or invited me to this work. Um, You're probably familiar with this as well. What are your thoughts on that? Because sometimes, you know, there are also conversations that we have maybe like we need to be super careful because sometimes psychedelic medicines can lend itself themselves to this kind of insight where suddenly somebody can have one ceremony and then um, you know start really believing this is the path and this is what they need to do how does one differentiate which is which is it true is it my imagination is this really what's happening how was that journey for you uh, to really finally come into it did it take a lot of long time or was it quite instantaneous yes this is what I'm going to do like if you could yeah. maybe speak to that
0: yeah I know that's a great question and a question that I think should be asked more often that doesn't get asked enough um, for myself like I said it was confusing but for me it felt very very true like as true as I came into this world as a woman as true as my gender right is was that I wanted to work with the medicine and the medicine was calling me to work with it. So I was denying it a lot due to just, you know, where I was working at the time, where I was in my life at the time, but it was the truth that I was denying. And particularly when it really became clear to me, as I said, drinking ayahuasca, speaking to the shamans there, when I came back from that ayahuasca retreat, I was crying. I mean, at least every other day, if not every day because I was, I knew that I was supposed to be learning the medicine that I was supposed to be working with it. And I was still like in my life and my work that I was doing prior to this. So it was like, there's no way I can't do this. You know, it, it's really a difficult feeling to describe, but it just was true. I knew I had to step into this path and I had to be patient with how it unfolded. So it was just, it was just a truth that I felt extremely attached to that I had to follow. Um, And I do hear this a lot from people who feel the medicine has called them to serve, the medicine has called them to work with it. And there's a tricky line because the mushrooms are, um, they're tricksters sometimes. (laughs) I mean, we call them los niños santos, right? The holy children, the saint children, the sacred children, and they are like children. So, I think the best thing people can start to do, especially if they're feeling called to work in the space and work with the medicine, is to develop a conscious relationship with the consciousness of the mushroom, with the consciousness of the plant, with the consciousness of the plant network. Because the mushrooms, sometimes, if you just take them, you know, maybe in a sacred context, but without intention and not in a ceremonial context, They will just take you wherever (laughs) they'll take you wherever they want to go. And this is why a lot of people have really uncomfortable trips with mushrooms. You know, they can be a really gentle, sacred medicine, but they can be intense if you're just taking them um, without that consciousness, without speaking to the mushroom first. So once you develop the conscious relationship with the mushroom, like, they're not going to mess with you, you know, (laughs) it's going to be between you and the mushroom because it always is even that call as it's coming from the medicine, it's always, it's also coming from inside. So I think the beauty of like differentiating, you know, am I actually being called or is this just like something happening in my mind is for people to connect to that heart space. Cause at the end of the day, it's really up to us, um, what we believe the way that we're called, it all comes from our heart space. So nobody can come tell you like, Oh yeah, you're not really being called. That's just fake. You have to differentiate that for yourself because nobody else is going to be able to feel that.
1: Mm, thank you. Azalea. I love how this conversation is unfolding because um, I also saw, um, I think it was um, recently there was a webinar uh, with the Chakruna uh, um organization, and they were talking about who should serve the medicine, like who is, who, you know, who should be serving these medicines, right? Um, this is like a forever ongoing conversation among people that I am connected with. And I mean, who qualifies to to serve this medicine, right? It's, it's a very tricky one as well. And it's hard to say, because human to human, we're not in a position to decide who's, who's qualified and who's not. And I love what you said about earlier, ultimately although it may come from it may seem like it's coming from the medicine let's say mushrooms in this instance because that's what you work with right now Uh, but mostly I speak to a lot of um, people that work with ayahuasca and mescaline and other kind of medicines that they always say like the medicine asking me to um, do this work so but I just want to point out to our listeners that I love what you said Although it seems like it's coming from mushrooms, in essence, it's coming from inside. Uh, it's like us connecting to our own uh, inside. So I love that um, because sometimes it's easy to tell medicine because we have this inside joke as well, which is um, it's almost like anyone who touches these medicines, they're almost like being recruited and scouted out to work for them. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's like we've been hired to, you know, right. Like little um, army or movement of, of humans just coming together to work with the medicine, which is which is of course that's it's all good for a greater collective. But at the same time, I always find value in addressing and talking more about these concepts of first doing our own work consciously, like you said, connecting, and then and then coming into the serving the medicine. And one other thing I wanted to just uh, say is that I think. It's almost like we can tell if somebody is genuinely called to this work because they resist. It is not like, um, you know, people who sometimes I observe and they've taken one or two ceremonies or a few, several, and then they kind of um, very sort of willingly and super fast kind of coming into this role and really it it looks a bit superficial. It looks kind of... um, exaggerated it doesn't look so grounded and then yet you have especially the people that I had the privilege to work with they've always been people that come to this work where they resisted it for years like you said crying you know oh no you know who am I to do this and then all these self-doubt and then for a couple at least several years they would try and avoid, distract themselves, run away from, but eventually, coming around to 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 the work. So I hear you, uh, and I think this is a, a grounded way of looking at who should be serving the medicine or who comes to I mean, who, um, you know, who deserves to, to serve the medicine? I guess right. People yeah. Hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I think the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of people feel called to work with the medicine, which can be different than actually serving it. I think the medicine, especially when you're working with mushrooms, because mushrooms have a whole mycelium network that they're tapping into, which is just happening, right? Like underground, but also the mycelium network is happening in a spiritual sense too. So I feel that sometimes mushrooms kind of go uh, choose certain people to do certain things. So maybe if somebody's feeling called to share their lessons from the medicine, like in their job or something like that, but they mistake it for being called to serve the medicine because the mushrooms give them these messages of, oh, I want to work with you, you know, let's work together. Um, for example, I have friends that have been studying with ayahuasca for years. And this friend in particular I'm thinking of is a school teacher, and she feels really called to work with the medicine, but her work is bringing consciousness to the youth. Of course, not serving the medicine, and she's not even honest with her job that she goes to Peru and studies ayahuasca, but she feels that the ayahuasca through her can teach her how to be kinder to our younger generations and to help them grow up. And that to me is also working with the medicine, right? It's not serving the medicine, but the medicine called her to work in this way. So I think a lot of people are feeling called to work in their own lives and then maybe mistake it for actually serving medicine. Um, I think in terms of who's qualified to serve the medicine. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't wanna doubt that people can receive the calling to serve the medicine in their own fashion. And especially now, because so many indigenous traditions around serving medicine have been lost, people have to learn on their own. Particularly, I'm thinking about mushrooms here. You know, there are lots of peyote shamans out there and wachuma and ayahuasca. So there are opportunities to learn those medicines with indigenous people, which I say, if you're working with a sacred plant, always learn from the indigenous people because they've been doing it for thousands of years. They know what they're doing truly. Uh, but with the mushrooms, it's tough because so many indigenous traditions around mushrooms have been lost. And really the only one that's staying strong today is the Mazatec tradition. And even then, like, you know, I'm going to Watla all the time. I've been going for a while now. And there are very, very few medicine keepers. There are few people who still know how to work with their medicine. There are few people who still know the indigenous language even. These are traditions that are being lost. So I totally get that if somebody in Western society, let's say the U.S., the U.K., is working with mushrooms and doesn't have access to learning how to do it in an Indigenous context, they're going to have to learn on their own, essentially. Or they're going to have to go to one of these coaching programs that are popping up everywhere or psychedelic guide certificate programs, right? Um, And my, my first and strongest opinion is that if you have access to an Indigenous community to learn from, you should always start there. Again, these people have been working for thousands of years with these substances. They know what they're doing physically. They know the set and setting, but they also know what's happening on a spiritual level. And with mushrooms in particular, again, they're very, very strong. They're very, very wise. And because a lot of people take mushrooms recreationally, people don't realize the depths that you can step into in the mushroom space. And I mean, the mushroom space and the ayahuasca space are actually very, very similar. They're the same space. You just need more mushrooms to get to the ayahuasca space and less ayahuasca. But um, even the Mazatec shamans, like some of them drink ayahuasca as well. And they're saying like they're working in the same space. So if you're somebody who's maybe very tapped in, very connected, and you're taking mushrooms recreationally or taking them on your own, or you're guiding people into a ceremony You might know what you're doing in terms of setting up the experience for them set and setting and internally i'm sure you've learned some things but if you step into an indigenous ceremony you'll see that these people have learned in every single context how to keep you safe because you can you can get into some trouble (laughs) going deeper by yourself and even something as simple as working with the land you know part of the traditions in oaxaca is like we work with the lands that we take on we are always giving an offering to the land we make sure that the land and his name in this case, is it's a male or masculine land, I should say, make sure that he's included in our conversation, in our prayers, in our ceremonies, and it changes ceremony completely, completely. So even these clinical trials that are happening, which are super important for research, I sometimes wonder um, how, how these ceremonies are going when they're not even acknowledging the lands that they're taking the medicine on. So for this reason. I know that's a big, (laughs) long answer, but for this reason, I really think that people should be learning under indigenous context to be qualified to serve the medicine. Um, Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Thank you. Azela, you just opened a can of worms. I've got so many threads I want to tap into now. Um, Just to close off the uh, who is qualified to serve. uh, I hear you and um, I like that you said, um, maybe start with the indigenous teachings indigenous ways of learning um i like that because it kind of gives the foundation although you know most of us live in the western sort of you know industrialized lives with um to joys jobs you know i always talk about these uh fast-paced lives that we have in the west um sometimes you know we you know we don't have i mean if i'm looking at my own generation I only discovered that I had a really strong lineage of women. Uh, you know, women were quite powerful uh, in space holding and healing and even in conversation They were included and they were leading spaces. Um, I didn't know that until I entered into the uh, psychedelic space and working with the medicine on myself. Um, it's interesting how everything was kind of unlocked and then I discovered my lineage with a fresh perspective and realizing that I I didn't just born in a city or industrialized lifestyle I actually have a lineage and it, it kind of goes way beyond that I can remember or even chase or track back so so I can see that beautiful correlation and, and synergistic you know unfolding between this work you know that there is always this spiritual element to us doesn't matter if we were born and bred in the city hustle and bustle and you know you have a corporate job you have all this you know lifestyle that kind of it's kind of western um we somehow still have that lineage that we can track back and i find that um inevitably psychedelic work or psychedelic medicine work really brings that to conversation and and there is this um internal seeking to go and find out where where do I come from really like what am I what did my ancestors do because especially um, when I discovered mushrooms as a healing medicine I was super passionate about the Mazatec tribes and and obviously Maria Sabina the legendary shamans you know you do wonder what about my lineage like what about the country that I was you know my parents come from and then you start really asking these bigger questions and you know it is no surprise to me that anybody who lives in that hustle bustle life in a city can definitely track back a few generations back and then find they have a beautiful lineage too like for example i have a really good connection also a medicine serving medicine facilitating spaces and and she said um she did initially, she did her work in Peru doing lots of dieters with ayahuasca and, and masculine. And finally, one day in the ceremony, uh, she you know she was given this message, you need to go back. You're from the Nordic lands and you need to start working with your European plants that, that your ancestors, ancestors you know, used to work with and they carried this wisdom. You need to go and, go and uncover and extract that information and wisdom now. And I get shivers, you know, spine down spine. Thinking about it, it's beautiful how sometimes just coming into any medicine can open these doors for us to um, discover it, rediscover uh, lineages, and it's beautiful. And um, before we go into the the original context of the Mazatec tribes and their way of working, uh, I just wanted to just close off the um, who qualifies to serve medicine. This is such a a hot topic for me right now. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I just love what you said about having, again, starting with the foundation as learning from the Indigenous people. I think that was also a a huge eye opener for me. And I really value that. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. uh,
0: Yeah. I think also on that note, with everything that you've said, I want to add that, like to your point, we all have Indigenous roots somewhere. We were all working with these medicines at some point in our lineage, right? It's just that we've lost it. That's the problem. The reason I say to go back to these Indigenous communities now is because these people have held on to these traditions that the rest of us lost. So it's easier to step into the space that way to learn from them in a safe environment. But in terms of like a direct answer to the question of who's qualified to serve, I think everybody is. I think everybody's qualified. It's whether we feel called to it now or not. It's whether we want to explore that or not. But we all have it inside of us. So I think we're all qualified. But the only qualification on top of being here is coming to the medicine with respect.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you know there are toxic circles where people who's been in the medicine space for longer. Um, they can easily say, no, 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 this one can and this one cannot, and you can and you cannot. Uh, yeah, I, I do not like those um, judgmental approaches as well, so that's great. Yeah, coming from that very humble place of, you know, it's like, um, it's a little bit like the, you know, Eastern traditions where we all have everything within us to uncover what we need to learn and experience and manifest in this life as we are and we're all the same, there is no one human better. There is no hierarchy in who who is more intelligent, more smarter, and more powerful. You know, I even, um, I don't want to take the conversation too out of context, but I just want to say one thing. Some of the conversations that I am witnessing as well among these spiritual circles is that, you know, if you're a super empath and you're more evolved and if you're not, you're not. I really don't like these conversations as well. Just kind of labeling people. If you're a super intuitive empath, then you are more evolved, I think. And then the others are asleep. It is just so out of context and it doesn't serve anybody. You probably know this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. I totally agree with you. I think at the end of the day, like we're all here on a mission, on our own little missions, learning lessons on this planet. I don't think more people are awake, more people are asleep. Right? I understand that some people are like going through their awakening, but I don't think it's good to look down on people who have decided not to or to look down on people who are still processing their awakening or whatever words you want to use for it. Um, And I think that this work, while it's extremely, extremely sacred and extremely special, I'm not special. (laughs) I mean, I'm a beautiful person. Mother Earth loves me. I'm a special human in my own right. But the work I do is not special. I've just tapped into something that we all have access to. And that's like as simple as it is. That's
1: beautiful. Thank you. And my next question would be the um, I've been waiting for someone like you to come on this show and talked to us about the the real in-depth Mazatec uh, traditions in in using um, mushrooms as a medicine. And one thing I wanted to add before I I, wanted to speak to, um, I was listening to a lecture by, I've forgotten his name, but he's been in the space of probably all his life um, searching and doing lots of research on shamanic approaches and medicine and psychedelics. And he said, that really stayed with me. He said, a lot of people, you know, it's easy to work with, not easy as in, in the way that it's just walk in the park, but he said, it's easy to work with ayahuasca and mescaline, other medicines, but with mushrooms it's usually like, it's not the medicine that all shamans prefer or begin to work with because they are in, they're not predictable. So maybe you can somehow tell us what does that mean? And then tell us a bit more about the Mexican con- in context of mushrooms, how they work, if that's okay.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, they're, they're not totally predictable, right? We don't tell the mushrooms what to do. We work with the mushrooms together. They're like our co-workers. So <laughs> we don't have total say of where they're going to take people or where they're going to take us. Um, but I would argue that all the other medicines are similar. I'm not, I don't know too much about peyote and wachuma in that context, but ayahuasca for sure is unpredictable. Every single time you go into the space, it's going to be different. Every single person's going to have a different experience. Um, but I have seen over and over again that the mushroom sam- shamans, the Mazatec mushroom shamans will go take peyote, they'll take wachuma, they'll take fufo, they'll take ayahuasca, like every medicine they they work with in terms of taking it and then mushrooms they work with shamanically. But all of the shamans that they sit with under the medicines like ayahuasca, bufo, will refuse to come sit in a mushroom ceremony. And it's just, it's hilarious. Like I thought it was the funniest thing for the longest time. You know, my my teacher, she's like this tiny, tiny woman and she's so strong and so powerful. And she's just, she works at a few different uh, retreat centers in Mexico and she'll go serve mushrooms and then she'll sit in the bufo ceremony, the ayahuasca ceremony. And she's like having a blast, you know, experiencing her healing. And then she'll ask the shamans if they want to sit in her ceremony and they're like, terrified of mushrooms like they will refuse to sit in the ceremony and she was actually just we were speaking about this last week and she explained to me that when you're working with mushrooms it's kind of like levels you keep going a little bit deeper and deeper slowly like so so slowly and it's safer to kind of enter the space this way very consciously despacio poco a poco she always says which is like slowly little by little like it's a very, very long journey to go into the depths of the mushroom space because it's just very, you be, you have to be very, very careful and learn everything carefully. So it's like this level and then the next, and then maybe you're there for a while. And then the next and slowly building to get deeper and deeper. Whereas with uh, medicines like ayahuasca, you're just like, boom, you're like right there. And particularly bufo, otherwise known as sapo, the five MEO DMT frog, um, You're just like literally, you know, bursting right to the depths and then coming back. So she was explaining that these shamans who work with that, like, it's almost like they went to the depths and then they had to kind of work their way to learn everything beneath that. So when they enter the mushroom space, it's just difficult to navigate because they're used to a totally, totally different way of navigating the spiritual space. It's like riding a bike versus riding a car or something. You know, I, I don't really know what the right analogy is for it, but just totally different spaces in that context
1: wow that's really powerful I love the poco poco slow 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 I love that to approach it really slowly mm. yeah. yeah I guess it's it's kind of it applies to all of the medicines I guess I mean I know that the bufo can take you right there and but I love the analogy of actually going into the depths and then coming back slowly and integrating and bringing all that back into the life and maybe unlearning as we come back but with mushrooms I do feel and resonates with me the there's levels and you've got to take your time and you could be there for a year maybe longer and then you go again I really like that analogy
0: yeah yeah, yeah no, I know lo- I love <laughs> I love the mushrooms I love the masa type traditions. They're very, very conscious about the medicine space and how they step into it. And yeah, no, it's very traditional. Actually, the mushroom ceremonies are a very similar format to ayahuasca ceremonies in a sense where you have like this temple that you take the medicine in, which is on sacred land, of course. And when you take the medicine, the entire ceremony, the entire time, they're singing medicine songs. They are singing basically ikaros for mushrooms.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been uh, now a student of the Mazatec, a traditional tribe? uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Only a little over a year. It's still quite new for me. Mm -hmm. And um,
1: what are the like most distinguished or the difference uh, difference, uh, compared to, I don't know, like, you know, mushroom ceremonies happening all over the world, for example, uh, despite the the legal landscape, but what would you say the most distinguishable thing that you've you was surprised or that you're like, oh wow, this is really cool? Is there anything you can share with us?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a completely different experience. Um, I think the biggest thing is that the mushrooms are actually used for physical illnesses in Wautla and these masatec communities. So they call them limpiadores de madre tierra, like they're the cleaners of Mother Earth. And they believe that these medicines were given to us by Mother Earth to clean us of any physical illnesses, to clean us of any emotional blockages that might have manifested to make us sick. And I've taken, you know, if I'm in Rautla and I'm feeling sick, if I have allergies, whatever, like my teacher will just give me mushrooms, honestly, and I'll be like totally fine. But the difference being these people have learned how to work with the mushrooms as medicine. So not just for depression, but they've learned how to move the mushrooms energetically through the body and to clean the body. So I've seen, I mean, I've seen miracles from, like I said, I've had really bad flus and then stepped into mushroom ceremony and was totally fine the same night. I've seen people come in for arthritis I've seen people come in for terminal cancer, actually. I've seen cancer healed multiple times in mushroom ceremony. And the most profound time was this boy who, I think he was about 12 years old, and he had four months to live, like very, very terminally ill with cancer. And he just wanted to go, I guess his parents wanted him to try different methods, some holistic methods, because obviously the chemo was working and all these other things, so got in contact with my teacher and my teacher's mother and sat in ceremony and was, I think it was three ceremonies, and then he was cured and he went back because he's from the United States and cancer was gone. And now he's like so super healthy, like very fit. And he's really he's actually making an organization where he helps cancer cancer patients heal through plant medicines and through these holistic practices. So I think that's that's the biggest difference. I mean, of course, there are a lot of traditional things. There are really beautiful depths you go into the space when you're working with indigenous people who know what they're doing. But the biggest thing was the physical healing that you can have with mushrooms is just profound with these people.
1: Yeah, I think mushrooms are probably the least known in the West as a physical healing medicine. Because obviously now we need to deal with the whole stigma that is attached to it because of the recreational use in the past. It's very difficult, especially in the UK, because I'm UK based. And some of the conversations that I have with people, um, they're very much attached to that stigma as mushrooms are just recreational to trip, to get high, to have a good good time, and see the walls just melting. Yeah. These kind of conversations are still happening, and it's it's probably this would be the the most difficult aspect of work, you know, bringing the wisdom into the when people carry so much stigma around them. So one other thing um is there a a a deep sort of preparation before these um ceremonies the traditional ways what are those like what are the things they ask the teachers ask you to do before you you go there and all of that?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um when people are coming to sit with us to sit in ceremony there's typically a diet that they have to follow at least a week before, but two weeks suggested very, very similar to ayahuasca diet, you know, no pork, no alcohol, no marijuana, no psychedelics, of course, um, no synthetic medicines, things like that. And then of course, a meditation practice is always suggested and really required, but you know, people will do <laughs> what they do, but always a meditation practice to prepare yourself to step into that space slowly before you even take the medicine. So you're ready for it. And then when people come to these Mazatak shamans that want to perhaps work with the medicine, that want to serve the medicine. So for example, like my preparation is two weeks before, at least two weeks before I have to start fasting, just intermittent fasting. So until 2 PM, but the fasting includes no water. It's like a full fast, you know, no food, no water, no tea, no coffee. And then also from the moment that I get up until 2 p.m., I have to be on my knees or sitting in prayers and meditations preparing for this again every day for two weeks. And then, of course, I follow the diet as well. But yeah, that's that's really the big thing. The diet, meditation and prayers.
1: Wow. Amazing. And what about the uh, actual ceremonies? Is it just one time or is it multiple? Is it done over a week or a weekend? How, how does it work?
0: It works basically on demand. You know, the Masatek shamans are really like the doctors of their villages because they work with the mushrooms in the spiritual context and in the physical, as I explained to you. So I will just kind of go to Wautla every time I want to go back, every time I want to learn. And what I learn is really like when they receive patients, like somebody in the town is sick and they want to come into ceremony. Or if we have visitors coming, right, some foreigners are in town and they want to have ceremonies. So the ceremonies are really different. You know, sometimes it's one ceremony over the course of weekend. Sometimes it's three ceremonies over the course of a week. Sometimes I'm there for like half a month and I only get to sit in two ceremonies. So it's always up to, you know, who shows up, if the time is right, of course, who needs help, that sort of thing
1: okay great and say if your teacher you know obviously they are the doctors right they are the holistic doctors and if they for example uh, if somebody requires more than one multiple ceremonies like back to back does that happen often or is it just usually one time is enough or do they have to or do they just kind of um I'm um, obviously coming from a western perspective like is a prescription where oh you know let's work, work with you a bit longer is there like situations where they keep people longer
0: um there are situations but it's very much up to the individual and up to the individual's experience you know when people come and they say like you know for example the woman who came to us for arthritis a few months ago she came to Outla she said she had arthritis she was really struggling and she had also just lost a loved one recently so she was looking for help with a lot of different things And I think actually she was coming to process the losing a loved one and didn't realize that she would be able to process the arthritis as well. And she came for one ceremony. And of course, they don't tell you how many ceremonies you need, right? They don't just look at you and say like, oh, you need four ceremonies or whatever. It's not until they come into ceremony with you that they can see maybe what you need. And then after that, it's always up to the individual. Once again, connecting to your own heart space and recognizing what you need and how you're feeling. So maybe somebody comes and wants three ceremonies, but maybe after the first ceremony, they feel good, then that's totally fine. They don't have to sit again. But this woman with the arthritis, she came in and her first ceremony, she didn't feel anything. She didn't have any psychedelic experiences. She felt, you know, some things in the body, but she didn't have a trip per se. She didn't see any visions and she was kind of frustrated by it, but the shaman was explaining to her that she's cleaning the body right now. So her body needs to rest and she's not going to be able to have a lot of visions until they like clean what's happening in the emotional body and the physical body. So she came two more times, actually, for a ceremony. Second time, had a profound experience, a lot more cleaning, a lot more crying and then after the second time, they're like extremely casual about it because they just trust in alignment. They trust in timing. They trust in mother earth to be able to make things happen that need to happen. So after the second ceremony, it's like the shaman, the shaman's not just like, oh, you're healed. You can leave, right? They always ask like, well, how do you feel? Do you think you need another ceremony? Do you feel okay now? And although the shamans understand what's happening and what the person might need on a physical and energetic level. They always make sure that it's up to the individual, whether they want to keep doing that work or whether they want to go home the way that they are in that moment.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. See, I love this aspect for me, um, especially with the mushroom medicines. There is this element of increase in self-agency as well, increase in sort of that autonomy where I love that your teachers do that. Because um, that would be my ideal space of work with the person. Because um, just giving them that self, you know, power back in. How do you feel? Like you decide. Because I believe that most of these sicknesses and all these blocks and whatever's happening or mental health issues are usually when people are really feel that they have don't they don't have any power and they can't make any decisions. Um, that element is very powerful in healing, and I'm really um, fascinated that this is recognized and uh, it's given back to the person in in you know in subject. Wow! So when when they go through a really really difficult experiences, what are the things that your teachers do? Do they? Because there is a saying like you got to trust and surrender. You know, in the most psychedelic medicine space what does that look like? Because most people, they don't understand what does that mean and what it looks like. Yeah. What
0: yeah. You say? Yeah. It's different for every person in every circumstance. Um, a lot of the times there is some kind of element of like trust and surrender, but I will say like, it's not, uh, it's not pushy, you know, sometimes my teacher is pushy with me, but that's just because like, I'm learning the medicine. Like I need, <laughs> I need to learn how to navigate to surrender over and over again. But when people come to visit us, if they're having a hard time, like, oh my God, she, Maestra Hasmein is her name. And she's so, so gentle, you know, Im- immediately if somebody's having a hard time, she like seems very, very, uh, very gentle songs. She'll bring out the really gentle songs. The songs, they're called medicine songs because every song is kind of like a prescription for what the person is going through. So she can go through her book and choose what song needs to be sung in that moment. So she'll sing very, very gentle songs. And then like in between the songs, she'll go up to the person, like to their blanket to, you know, they're under a blanket, they're on a mat, they have a pillow and she'll go up and she will ask them how they're feeling. And she will tell them whatever they need to hear. She will be there if they need a hug. And there's a lot of emphasis as we spoke about before on like personal responsibility in the space, like connecting to yourself and trusting yourself. So a lot of the times, like she'll go up to people and see what they need or maybe give them a hug, but she never tries to step into their healing process. She always like, you know, hands off. This is your healing process. I'm here to make you feel safe and comfortable, but like, I can't walk the journey for you, you know? So she just creates such a calm and loving environment. And then sometimes there are physical things that she'll do. So like, do you need to go to the bathroom? You know, we can step outside for some fresh air to go to the bathroom or specifically my favorite thing that has helped me every single time is she'll ask them to lay on their torsos like on their stomachs and to just put their hands down and you know put the head down and everything facing the ground really and then she'll say to connect with mother earth and ask mother earth to strengthen you for these moments and you breathe you literally breathe like you're laying on flat on your belly and you're breathing into the earth inside of this beautiful temple, which is on our sacred mountain and you're breathing into the earth. And then when you inhale back in, you feel like strength come inside. And when you exhale, you feel like this release of the things that are not serving you. And it really, really helps ground you. I find that in these moments, it really helps me like soften my nervous system so that's like my favorite thing that she she has people do that are having a difficult time. But like I said, it's different every time, every moment, every person.
1: Yeah, yeah. And oh my God, this is so amazing. And one of the things that I, I always talk about is um, if the moment comes during the experience and you don't have that capacity, all the strength to surrender. And that's okay, right? That's okay because you can you'll have another chance to go again because one of the things that we we're dealing with i'm sorry i keep bringing the western way of thinking in perspective but it's very different and there is this uh super like high expectations from even the one session that people expect to be healed and changed and transformed which is like one of the biggest challenges in the space i'm sure you know this too if you have because um I know that you are you said you said that they are now receiving foreigners coming into the the ceremonies, as well, which I would like I'd like you to talk to you about that because um I guess it's easier to work with uh native people who grew up with these medicines and they kind of understand the process and they're kind of equipped with you know to to surrender or to to be able to be with the process. But then some, you know. The reason I'm sharing this is because when I started working with um, a native, uh, you know, facilitator from Peru, one of the things she quickly discovered and noticed was that people in the West were really controlling and they're very dissociative. So that was the two things that she was really, um, that kind of gave her the uh, upper hand to really um, come into the space where there's a lot of Western people in the ceremony so she could kind of change her approach a little bit, then it's very different to the native people sitting in, in the ceremony. So yeah, those two things are very powerful in the in the West, unfortunately, to survive, to function, to live this kind of life, hustle and bustle life. You know, it's um we developed these adaptations where we we're always in this control and you know, there's this also the disconnect and dissociation. So what are your thoughts? What how did they Maybe you could speak to us a bit about how and why are they accepting the foreigners now?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really interesting thought. It's funny because, um, you know, sometimes people ask me what I do and I just say like I'm a bridge. I I bridge the Western culture with what the Mazatai people are doing because they want to share but they don't speak the Western languages. And they also culturally, it's totally different for these reasons, right? People come taking the medicine in a totally different context than the native people take it. Um, but particularly, so Maestra and my teacher, and the woman who's really just taken me under and adopted me into her lineage, she is the daughter of Abuelita Julieta. And Abuelita Julieta Uh, was a part of this organization called the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers. And these were 13 Indigenous grandmothers from different tribes, literally around the world, that were sharing their sacred lands and their sacred medicines. So Abuelita Julieta really felt passionate about sharing the medicine of the mushrooms in the Mazatec context, literally around the world. And she was always sharing with foreigners, always sharing with non-Mazatec people And Maestra Hasmin feels really passionate about continuing that tradition because her mother, Abuelita Julieta, passed away about two years ago. So now she feels that she wants to take foreigners in, that she wants to work the medicine in this way. And it's quite rare because if you come to if you come to these Mazatec villages, they don't really work with foreigners usually. They actually don't work outside of their families sometimes. It's like each family will have their own curandera who is like the mother or whatever. And even then, the people who step outside of their family only work with other indigenous Mazatec people in this medicinal sense. So Maestra Hasmin is really the only uh, mushroom shaman I know that is sharing the medicine with foreigners.
1: Wow, that's fascinating. And, and, and just circling back to the earlier um, you know, approach in how would they deal with a Western person who's completely dissociated um and how does the medicine have you seen any kind of examples or if processes with those kind of you know incidents yeah for
0: sure for sure I think that's where I come in you know I think um a lot of people would always ask me like how I found my teacher how I got connected to the Mazatec people and then one day somebody asked me how we found each other And that's when I realized that we had been looking for each other. I had been looking for a teacher to teach me the traditions that I lost, the lineage that I lost. And she was looking for somebody who could navigate the Western world and bring Masatek medicine to Westerners. So we worked together in that sense. Um, It's interesting that you say Westerners are very, oh, what's the word? I don't know. Maybe sometimes like entitled, right? They like expect things to happen from the medicine. And the medicine doesn't like expectations. <laughs> the medicine, like I said, is unpredictable and it takes you where you need to go. It gives you what you need. And these lands are the same way. Like all of the spirits that we work with, the spirits of the plants, the spirits of the lands, like they don't like expectations. They like people who are open. They like go with the flow. They like, you know, again, they work with everybody, but, um, but setting expectations with the medicine is a dangerous thing also just for yourself, how you can get caught in the mind with that. So a lot of Westerners, you know, will take them in a three ceremony format. Um, again, they can decide how many times they want to take the medicine. It's always up to them at the end of the day, but we do the three ceremony format because so often people will come in that first ceremony with expectations. They're like, Oh yeah, like I'm going to go so deep. I'm going to, you know, I'm doing it with the Mazatec shamans. I'm going to have this profound experience. And they're thinking about that the whole time that they don't even get to trip. I've seen it many, many times. They don't get the visions. They don't get anything. And then when they go to sleep, they start tripping because finally their mind turned off. (laughs) And this is a heart opening medicine. Like you have to open to the heart space. You have to navigate mushrooms in the heart space. Otherwise, like they won't work. You're going to get stuck in your mind. You're going to get stuck in your thoughts. And especially when you have a Mazatec shaman working with you because they're guiding energy in the heart space. So if you can't tap into the heart space, you're not going to have that profound experience. You know, on the other hand, I've had a lot of foreigners come that maybe I've worked with medicines, people who even serve medicine in their own way. Right. I've had people who work with ayahuasca long-term and then do mushroom ceremonies on their own in the United States. And they've come to sit with us and they're like, yeah, I got this. I drink ayahuasca. I know what's going on here, you know, come in with their Mampacho and all these things. And they are like blown away by this medicine. Like they have such a profound experience. They're like, wow, I didn't even know that mushrooms could do that. We're capable of that. So again, it's like, it's different for every person, but um, that's kind of where I come in. I do preparations with people who are coming, um, who are foreigners. (laughs) I do preparations with them about 2 weeks in advance we begin and it's really just a lot of prep of dropping into the heart space like dropping any conscious or subconscious beliefs that they might have about the medicine you know and being really open to whatever happens open to the experience not expecting anything getting comfortable with surrendering to what happens we do a lot of like guided meditations for this reason so there's a lot of prep that goes into this and then even once the people are there in Watla with us There are tons of cultural differences. You know, we don't have hot water. We don't have a lot of hot water in our town. We have to like boil water and shower with buckets. And there's like one hotel there that has hot water. So we have people stay at this hotel, but it's these little things that people, you know, if they're not ready for it, they just, they can't step into this experience. It's very rural Mexico. It's a very small village. You know, we're eating dinner with families in huts that are basically four walls on top of dirt. And that's the experience, and I think it's beautiful, and I think it's part of the pilgrimage of these medicine journeys. I really think it is. But a lot of people are not uh, comfortable. (laughs) A lot of people are not comfortable with that, and they're not ready for that, which is totally fine. But that's why now we're in the process of building our own center so that we can welcome these people. And we can kind of, you know, make a bridge to cultures in the sense where people can come to sit in the Mazatec tradition, but in a way that they're comfortable
1: Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for giving us that insight in a deep context around the traditional way of working with the medicine. And I just felt like saying that, you know, nothing comes from comfort, right? Nothing really grows, nothing really evolves. And somehow um, anybody who uh, exploring the psychedelic medicines, they, they need to be prepared to be uncomfortable and sometimes sleep on the floor and not have their bed and the hot water, like you said, and, and the food on time, especially the dieters, we won't go into that. Probably we can do a whole nother session with just, the <laughs> but um, yeah, sometimes just going hungry and not having food for days. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, we need to be okay with, which is sometimes not always the case for a lot of people.
0: Would yeah. Part of the experience, like you said, yeah. though, I think, of surrendering mm. of being okay with life, which are the lessons the medicine tries to teach us anyways.
1: Mm. I love that you you know also um one of the things that you know we talk about with our friends all the time in this space is that um sometimes we just want everything, but we're not willing to let go of the things that we're so attached to. and somehow you know somehow the medicine wants us to do that, let go of. This controlling the certainty of like because in the West, you know how it is. We've got calendars that we know what we're doing a month a month from now. And it's crazy that um for me, surrender has always been that element of not knowing, and it's okay. Not knowing, we don't need to know everything. We don't need to know what's happening tomorrow. And and even the ceremony is like the biggest thing, not knowing. But being okay with what's emerging, I think that would be my ideal way of looking at the surrender. I understand, though, it's difficult, you know, when we not lived or experienced any of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, though. You know, one of the biggest cultural differences is like when you step into these towns, when you step into Woutla, there is no time, really. You know, we have clocks and everybody has phones and things like that, but You ask the people when they're gonna open their shop and they say like, I don't know, whenever the sun comes up and they really live like with the elements. And when people, (laughs) when people come to visit us, it's always like, oh, what time are we going to the museum? What time are we having dinner? Like all these really specific things. And I don't ever have the answer to them because I, you know, sometimes we'll ask the people that we work with, we have like indigenous families that take us to excursions and that host us for dinner. And then I'll ask them like, oh, what time is dinner? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just tell you when it's time, you know, and it's the culture and I love it. But You have Westerners that are very stuck on their watches, on their phones that like want to know what time dinner is. So that's one of those little um, bridges that we have to walk together and we have to figure out. But I'm totally with you. I think it's part of the experience of letting go and being okay Mm -hmm. with everything happening the way that it needs to and trusting that you're going to be taken care of. You're going to be Mm -hmm. fed and that's it. Yeah, I really,
1: truly believe that's probably part of the problem where we lose the self agency because we expect our phones to tell us what's happening next and even with our health and um, re-education with, with health with work we always expect our managers or colleagues that are uh, in different roles to tell us what tasks at hand and at school parents uh, the way we parent our children we never allow them to be themselves we always want to you, you have your breakfast at this time you get dressed at the time we live at this time and and I think this is one of the reasons we lose that self agency, and uh, which the natives or the traditional tribes they keep that they they individually they they that's why they are hard to manipulate and they're hard to you know convince because they have such a strong um, agency, I would say. But obviously, these are my thoughts only. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. I totally agree with you, though. But it makes a lot of sense
1: wonderful uh asiela we're coming to end of our conversation but i would like to talk about your book on microdosing and um and then we're going to talk about some of the offerings and maybe our listeners are interested to travel all the way to where you are who knows right so let's talk about your microdosing book how did it come about and what are you sharing in your book
0: Yeah, I just had, um, again, the profound healing from my very first mushroom experience, and I wanted to share it. So I actually just started writing anecdotes from my experience, things I learned in the space, things that came up for me on my journey. And as I began to write pages and pages, I just wanted to share them with my friends. So originally, I was just going to make a book about my trip, write the story of my first trip, and I was going to just make a little ebook that I could like share around to my friends. And i was I was writing this, um, I also started doing more research around microdosing. And specifically, you know, months post my journey, I just thought like, we need to feed this to people. <laughs> like we people need to know about this, especially people suffering from deep depression. and and I came across microdosing and how it's much easier to, microdose mushrooms, then have your full trip experience. So I did more research about microdosing. I started experimenting on myself and then a lot of my friends would come to me for advice. So in addition to sharing with them this you know, PDF of my stories, I would also have like a quick little microdosing guide or what worked for me and all these things. And I started working with more people. So eventually um, the book came to flourish and as I would share it with my friends, my friends were like, this is really good. You should actually like publish this and share it with the public which was not in the plans at all. But I thought, you know what? There is no no book on microdosing, right? There's a lot of research. There are a lot of little sections of other books about mushrooms, but there's no like step-by-step guide. Here's how to make your own microdose. Here's how to find your dose. Here's how to work with the microdoses in your day-to-day. So I ended up kind of combining anecdotes from my journeys with my experiences microdosing with all of the research that I did And with a step-by-step guide of how to make your own microdoses and with the indigenous wisdom that I had been learning from and how indigenous people use microdoses. And I put it all into this book and it's called micro healing, taking control of your journey step-by-step with medicinal mushrooms. And now it's been out for, I think it's been out for about a year. It was about a year ago that it came out. It's on Kindle right now on Amazon. And now I'm working on another book that's an extension of this book that is now incorporating more of the indigenous traditions into the microdosing model.
1: Wow. That is so valuable. Thank you so much for doing all this work that you're doing and offering to the world. These are the kind of conversations I love having people just, you know, on their own path of healing and really bring in the insights and the wisdom through their own experiences, I think it's so valuable. And I love the little touch on the, the, you know, the traditional Mazatec wisdom on the microdosing. I think that's definitely the, the best thing that I've heard today, for sure. Because like you said, lately I am seeing lots of um, documents that are emerging. I think even like a few books maybe now, like you said, more what not traditional, just sort of research and, you know, benefits of this and all of that, but not so much the anecdotal and the uh, traditional way. Amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love it. I mean, I love all of this stuff coming out on microdosing. I think it's so good to push out the information, but mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know, again, that this is an indigenous practice. A lot of people don't know that there are mm-hmm. groups of people who work with mushrooms medicinally that microdose every day you know like it's it's really interesting
1: yeah it's uh it's great to to learn uh, this information I think um the first time I heard it from Dr. James Faderman when when he said everybody thinks I am the person behind the microdosing movement but he's like no I am not I'm just the person who's bringing it to the light again sort of thing but it's so true brilliant okay um so Um, how can, if anybody's listening to this and they have this calling to come and sit with the uh, traditional way in the Mazatec context, uh, having the ceremony like in this way, how could they come and find you guys? How could they reach out and how could they make this happen for themselves?
0: Yeah, yeah, there are two ways. The first is our website, specifically for the Mazatec tradition, for the cultural preservation center we're building. And it's called Chon Dafe, which is the Mazatec name for our temple and for one of our sacred mountains. So, if you go to www.chondafe.com, I'll spell it www.c-h-o-j-n as in nuts, and then another n, and then d-a-f-e.com. Um, That's where you can find all the information, again, about coming down to Oaxaca, having these traditional ceremonies, and then also, our again, our Cultural Preservation Center. And in addition to that, we're trying to get the Mazatec people and elders included in legalization conversations in the U.S. So we're also working on getting them visas for this. And that's where all of that magic happens. And then my personal website is www.vibrationalhealing.me. So vibrationalhealing.me, and that's where you can find more of this, more stuff about the Mazdaq people, about the work that we do. And then I do microdosing guidance for for people in an Indigenous context.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll have all of these links in the show notes for direct um, connection and people can find out more about you and your work and the Indigenous way of working. Um, It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sparing this time with us and have, you know having you here was amazing. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, with this work, we're just trying to find ways where more people in the Western world can receive information about the Mazatech tradition. So spaces like this are exactly where we wanna be. So thank you for opening it up.
1: Pleasure, thank you. And all the best with your future projects. And I'm sure we'll connect again sometime soon for part two. yes yes amazing thank you thank you so much everybody for tuning in please do connect with uh, aziela and we'll have all her links and her projects and a book if you're interested in diving deep into that information and wisdom Um, i'll see you guys on the next one bye for now much love thank you Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform, and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.